This episode of Left of Field is brought to you by Coastal Crunch. It's granola that tastes great, made from wholesome, locally grown ingredients and is good for the planet. It's Left of Field with Danny Kavanagh. It's a big one today, guys. Cameron Bancroft. And he's an Australian cricketer, opening batsman, who's obviously been in the media the last few years, ups and downs. He hasn't had an easy ride. But he joined me today for a nice little chat on the values of mentorship, dealing with the media, ups and downs that international cricket brings as well as some yoga and mindfulness practices. He delivers it all and it's a really great chat. So please enjoy. Cameron Bancroft, welcome to Left of Field. How are you going today? I'm going well, thanks. Thanks for having me. No worries. It's been a bit of a bizarre period. What's the latest with you and cricket? How are you feeling with it all? Yeah, well, it's obviously been a pretty unknown time at the moment. We've been, yeah, we've actually been really fortunate training-wise. Uh, I guess when the, the virus sort of hit, that was sort of heading into our off-season. We were kind of able to fill our off-season plans, um, albeit like not being able to travel away. But yeah, we were able to have some time off and then start pre-season at a pretty normal time that we normally would about two and a half months into it. We don't really know when the season's going to begin. Yeah, everyone's tracking really well. It's, yeah, it's still been really enjoyable. So what kind of training are you doing at the moment with the Wacker? I guess everything that you can imagine cricket-wise you would do in pre-season, you know, we've been able to maintain being in smaller groups, which actually works better from a cricket training point of view, able to help each other out and get some more time. So, you know, we've been working on batting skills, you know, a few times a week. The last sort of month we've been able to compete and face bowling, which has been really good, get outside and on turf wickets, which has been fantastic. And, of course, you know, fulfilling your physical obligation, so making sure that you're, you know, you're running really fit and physically nice and strong. So yeah, just balance between yeah your skills, physical stuff, and then obviously doing our best where we're at to, to make sure we've got good camaraderie around the group. Yeah, we've had some cool things in place to make sure that the guys are connecting well with each other, even though the, the season's a little bit unknown. The camaraderie you're hoping to bring into a new season for the Sheffield Shield with WA obviously haven't had a lot of success over the years. Do you think that could change in the near future when you do get back playing? I think every year you, you always try and learn from, from previous seasons things that you could have done a bit better and feel like definitely this season, we've, yeah, this pre-season, we've, we've looked at that and tried to put into practice as best as we can things that we could have improved on last year that might have you know changed the outcome. I think every discipline has areas you can work on you know obviously batting wise you want you want all your batters to be confident be able to score runs you know so I guess whether it's improving little technical areas or just tweaking mindset type stuff to allow that to happen that's something that every player's really looked at and then obviously from a bowling perspective as well like you know the challenge with shield cricket is you need to be able to build pressure and be able to take wickets so it's kind of a fine balance between the two and I know our bowling group have definitely just looked to improve on those little things and you know from the outside looking in you know when you don't make finals and things like that it can seem very disastrous but the truth is in professional sport what seems like disaster is only one or two percent off here or there and I think that's where we've looked to try and focus and improve on. Yeah personally you're obviously missed out heading over with Australia now to England 
what are you working on to get yourself back into that side? I've never played one-day cricket for Australia, so I guess it hasn't really been too much of a disappointment for me because I've never really been a part of the setup. But, yeah, in terms of the longer form of the game, you know, I think that's kind of where, you know, probably strength-wise to getting back into the Australian cricket team and, you know, probably starts more simply and, and that's to get picked to the first Sheffield Shield game for WA. I, I got dropped for the last game of last season. How yeah, was I'll that be... feeling for you? Was it a bit of a shock or did you know with the form that you were in that that was expected? No, I, I didn't deserve to play. You know, I just hadn't been able to, hadn't been able to, you know, put any runs on the board to contribute. The thing is, in cricket, as a batter, that's your job. So I wasn't able to do that um, as well as I would like to have last season. Yeah, it's certainly been a good time to reflect and then for me, really simplify the game. You know, you can really complicate the game of cricket and, you know, in the times where I've played really, really well, the game's been super simple and my routines and mindset's also been super simple and because of that, you're able to play well. I think that's where I, what I've learned and, yeah, hopefully keep working on that and, you know, turn it around this season. I want to know, what's your earliest memory of playing cricket? Oh, for me, probably playing in the backyard with my dad. My dad was a bit of a bit of a nasty for batting technique and just perfection. I think he like put that on. Well, he instilled that in me definitely from a work ethic perspective. So I know that I'd spend hours in the backyard just brooding my technique, keeping the ball on the ground. If you hit the ball in the air, you get caught. All those things. They're my earliest definitely memories of that, and they were sometimes frustrating, but it came from a really good place. And did you have any idols growing up that you wanted to? be like? Did you go to the Nets and try and play like certain heroes? Yeah, so for me, my idol growing up was Justin Langer. I just loved, I loved his grit and his determination as a player. That's what I yeah, loved watching the most when he'd go out and open the batting and test matches for Australia. But obviously he was a left-hander. As a right-hander, I, I think I admired Damien Martin quite a lot. He was just oh, like beautiful to watch. Oh, like we all admire models when they walk down the catwalk and, and how like fantastic they look. Damien Martin, he was he was like that for me, <laughs> watching in, on TV. Yeah, probably those two guys. What bat did you have growing up? A kookaburra? I did, yeah, I did buy a, a kookaburra. Well, I didn't buy my parents' bought but a Diablo when I was probably my early teenage years and got one of them because Damien Martin used it. Yeah, I was, it was something I cherished. I think I've still got it at home somewhere. Mm-hmm. JL is such an, a big name in the sport. How was it eventually being coached by him? Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I think at the beginning you're, you're quite you're quite awestruck. I know I was anyway. Like I just used to hang off. Had you met him word. before? Yeah, I had. I, I've actually I've got a bit of a story. But Justin used to have his own cricket clinic in Perth called the Justin Langer Cricket Camp, and every year at Hale School, sort of around the school holidays time, like Christmas school holidays, he'd have his cricket camp and I reckon I was about 10 or 11 years old and I used to, another idol, I used to admire Brett Lee, particularly used to admire his haircut, like used to like go to the hairdresser and be like, can I have Brett Lee like haircut the part through the middle and all that sort of stuff and anyway, wow, I had a new what a statement, did you pull it off? Nah, not quite, not quite, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't quite me but you know. I just had to imitate others, learn who who I was a bit better. But um, no, I, I was wearing this New South Wales blues top and um, I got got to the camp and JL must have, you know, 
picked me out with my New South Wales Blues top, and during the day he, he said, oh, I can't see me at the end of training, you can't be, like, wearing that, and he must have gone home during the day, and he got one of his, like, training shirts, and he signed it, you know, and gave it to me, and that was when I was about 10 years old, and I've still got that shirt today, and I treasured it fairly highly, and, then, and I still do. And to, yeah, for him to become my coach, you know, eight years later when I'd grown up and been able to earn a contract with WA, it was quite a journey. And yeah, it's been pretty awesome to, to rub shoulders and to learn from, yeah, from a guy that I idolised as a kid. You, you mentioned Brett Lee was another idol. Did you ever try bowling yourself? I did. And then I think I realised that bowling wasn't for me. I don't know what it was. I think just I had a bit more luck with the bat and was able to score a few more runs. Because of that, bowling just by the wayside a little bit. It's a bit forgotten. I mean, I'd like to bowl well. Sadly, I just, I just can't. I think I've come to accept that. <laughs> At what point did you decide to take cricket to a professional level? You know, move it from the backyard to a real career? I think I'd always treated myself as a professional, even though I, I wasn't one. You know, I used to sit at home, even as like a 13, 14-year-old, and like write my own training programs and stuff like that for myself to be accountable for so I was always very very dedicated but I think once I got to probably you know stayed under 15 you know when cricket became the stakes for cricket became a little bit more competitive and a little bit more serious probably I played well in some games and got some confidence and, and really decided that I wanted to, to continue to pursue that seriously but I was always very dedicated and even you know, even before then I'd, I'd say that cricket was always something that I felt really attracted and destined to want to continue with. Obviously, you know, became very single-minded for the sport. Did you put a lot of pressure on yourself growing up? Yeah, yeah, I did. And, and I, it came from a place of just wanting to do, you know, wanting to, to do well. For me, anyway, a lot of the, the lessons that I've had to learn have been to be able to, you know, trust in the journey and to relax more. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to do as a youngster when you feel like you've got to, you know, hold on to everything. And But, in fact, you know, when you really let go and allow yourself just to perform because you've done all the practice and all the work, that's what's really difficult to do. So, no, I've, I've definitely fallen in that trap many a times. I still do today even. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a constant battle between working hard and practicing but then letting go and allowing yourself to, to perform. Do you remember your grade debut? Like, what did you bat? How was the game? Yep, I was uh, 15, playing for Williton District Cricket Club. I batted probably seven or eight, and I remember getting, I think, four not out of about probably 50 balls. The first battle was to get off the mark, and then it was just to not get out. Yeah, I think I hung in there for a bit, and then we declared and, and bowled. So I was pretty happy that I could weather the storm. And I also remember just copping an absolute barrage of sledging. Yeah. I, started I early. Yeah, well, when you when you start playing with the big boys, they uh, they don't hold back. They don't care that you're only 15. They, you're in their environment and you've got to play by their rules. So, Were you uh, chirpy back? No, nah, nah, not at all. I, I, If anything, I was probably a bit, not reserved, but I just tried to give them nothing uh, with my body language and my skills. I wasn't a big one to bite back, no. First class debut, uh, that was when you were 18 at the MCG. How was that experience? How did you go in the week leading up? Pretty nervous, pretty nervous, pretty excited. Knew I was going to be batting with Mark Storm, opening the batting, so that was pretty cool. I think JL came down and we were playing a one-day, or just we were preparing for a one-day, and he said to 
Northy and I said, oh, how do you blokes feel about opening the batting together in shield cricket? And, yeah, it was pretty exciting. So I knew from there that I was going to play. And then, yeah, when I got out there, pretty pretty nerve-wracking. Peter Siddle at that time was bowling super sharp. He, I remember he hit me in the head about three times, and I was pretty rattled by that. So that was a bit of a wake-up call, I guess. Yeah, good memories, part of the journey. How do you handle transitioning between the formats? Yeah, it's a good question. It can be very difficult at times. One game, you know, twenty twenty cricket. You, as a batsman, anyway, you play you play with the ball. It doesn't really swing a lot on really true wickets. And because of that, you can technically, as a batsman, you can be slightly out of whack, and you can probably get away with it. Whereas in four day cricket. You know, you've got to be a lot more disciplined. The ball can sometimes move around a lot more. And, and because of that, your little bits of your technique, again, need to change a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, it takes a long time to, to realise what to do. Even though I'm still today learning that, I don't know, I guess it just comes with experience. And then the more experience that you, you gain, the, the better you get at adapting to, you know, between all formats. But I think that's the beautiful thing about cricket. Is that also the mental side that you have to bring into handling getting out as a batsman? How do you handle that yourself? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's the, the thing that the great players do um, is, yeah, they handle that, that failure and that disappointment better than other people because, you know, I know that when your mind's really, really clear, you're not living in the past, you're not living in the future, you're just living in the present moment and being able to deal with getting out, you know, deal with, you know, like working hard for things and sometimes not not achieving what you think you deserve. So it's a big battle, but I think there's no other game, no other sport, I don't reckon, in, in the world that, that teaches you that, yeah, teaches you how to deal with that, that failure more. So, you know, whether that's just learning by doing it over and over again and, and realising that worrying about what's happened is, is not serving you, whether it's that or it's coming out with other little techniques and strategies to help you. Yeah, that's up to the individual. But, yeah, that, I think that's certainly a, a massive part of yeah, the game of cricket and being really good at it. And also another aspect you could say is the patience the game teaches you, obviously. How did you learn to leave balls as a batsman? You know, you want to get to your hundreds, and but how do you learn to just leave them? Is that hard? Yeah, well, I think it probably goes back to your question about, yeah, like changing format to format of the game. Yeah, like in 2020 cricket, that ball that you might leave, you probably you probably have to play at that ball a little bit in, in, in longer form. Uh, sorry, the ball that you leave in four-day cricket, you tend to play at in, in shorter form cricket. So it's definitely a skill. I think some guys are, are better at it than others. I feel like I'm probably quite good at that battle for me is almost the other way it is you know how can I be really good at leaving leaving balls but also not miss out on balls to score so um yeah you just learn that through experience and through playing lots and you know experimenting with your mindset to, to hopefully come to a place yeah you, you become really experienced and, and really adaptable yeah what you can and can't do out in the middle so um that, that takes time and you've played with a lot of experienced players so you first made your test debut and 2017 with England. How was that, firstly? Super exciting. Um, yeah, the, it, yeah, it was a really exciting time. I, I played some really good cricket with um, with Western Australia, so I felt really, really confident. Um, and I know that I'd, I'd worked really hard to, 
to set some goals to hopefully achieve that and 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 it really paid off for me so super proud moment and yeah definitely one that I'm I'll uh, I'll never forget obviously being surrounded by you know the world's best any fast bowlers out there that you've faced that you've been you know really scared of no I mean I've been asked that question a little bit and not actually the quick bowlers that really put me off the most it's it's the guys that don't bowl quick that I find way more challenging. So, like, yeah, you know, I, I remember in South Africa playing against Bernard Philander, and um, he was just an absolute nightmare. Like, I, uh, yeah, I just, I, I hated it. He bowled really slow and wobbled the ball down at, at you, and, and it was super hard to face. Um, whereas some of the guys that bowl a bit quicker, sometimes they can be easier to face because they come onto the bat nicer and you don't need to hit the ball hard. So, yeah, I've, any of the fast bowlers I've faced, I haven't really been scared too much, but definitely the slower guys, they um, they give me more nightmares. <laughs> What's it like being an opening batsman then? It's an unfortunate job at times. There's a lot of unknown, uncertainty. You, you go out to bat with sometimes without any idea of what the conditions are going to be like, especially, and because of that, you've got to be really adaptable and you've got to learn on the fly, but... I also think that that's the great thing about opening the batting as well is you don't have time to sit in the sheds and think about it or, you know, dwell over things in your own mind. You just pat up and you're straight out there. And I think that's the one thing that I, I love the most about opening the batting. And because of that uncertainty, it's really, really challenging. And, and being someone quite competitive, yeah, I really, really thrive on that challenge. Yeah, whilst there's a lot of a lot of tough times. Yeah, if you do the hard work and you get through, you can you can have an awesome day and go on and get a really big score. That's what I try and aim for more often than not. Coastal Crunch is a Perth small business producing gluten-free products made from 100% West Australian lupin. Based in Mount Hawthorne and now endorsed by Celiac Australia, Coastal Crunch can be found in most of your IGAs, Farmer Jacks, cafes and other independent food stores across Perth and WA. Their granolas are amazing. They're a great addition to my smoothies, spoonie bowls, sprinkled over porridge in the morning, or I even sneakily have it on ice cream at night time. If you want to try out these amazing local products, why not visit their website and you will get 10% off when you use the code LEFTOFFIELD. That's right, go on their online store and try it out for yourself. I promise you, you won't regret it. It is crunchy, delicious, and makes you feel good. You mentioned some tough times, and you've definitely had your fair share in the sport. We have to mention, obviously, South Africa. Can you tell me what lessons have come out of that experience for you? Oh, lots of lots of great lessons. I think, yeah, I think it it allowed me to to really connect with with other parts of my life, which was which was great. Brought back some awesome opportunities. From that point of view, you know, but I think the major lessons that I learned were probably more around, yeah, around my values and my well-being. You know, you, you couldn't go through an experience like that so public and, and it not have a real impact on, on your well-being. And I think that was the the most important thing about the, yeah, the, my re- recovery and moving on from, from what happened in South Africa. So that was that part. And then there was the, obviously, the part around, you know, my decision-making and that, and that just came down to, to my values. It was, I think that was a positive opportunity. It allowed me to really inquire within myself, you know, from that hopefully I can be a better person and part my 
pain and wisdom on others so they can learn and be better themselves. That's uh, yeah, that's certainly um, one thing that you know that's positive that, that I think has come out of that experience. Would you say also yourself the lesson is the struggle with trying to fit in versus the struggle of doing what is right? Yeah, and that definitely obviously links to your links to your values. I mean, you know, you you know, feeling a part of a of a group and feeling connected to a group of people, that's really natural for people to to want to feel and certainly something at, at that point in my career. I mean, I've only played nine or ten test matches. It's not like I've, you know, set in stone my position in the team, particularly at that point in time. I'd only played four or five games, so I was still finding myself and yeah, I, I guess that that desire for for that to feel that with my teammates and, and you know, with the baggy green in my head that was what I um battled with. It wasn't an idiot or anything like that. I, I just I made a mistake connected to something that I really wanted and valued. And, and it was the wrong way to go about it. But, yeah, it's my, my lesson to learn. Have you forgiven yourself for it? Yeah, yeah, I have. I have, 100%. I think being able to, to share my story has, has really helped me to to do that. You know, the, the well-being practices that I have in place in my life allow me to, to be calm and clear and, and to, I guess, sit um, and allow myself to be okay with how I'm feeling. So, you know, that's part of the healing process but then I think being able to to speak and and to share my experience that's definitely allowed me to forgive myself and and you know try and turn that obstacle in an opportunity and and I've tried to do that as best as I can. Yeah so how was that nine months away from the game was it beneficial to your life what did you start doing? Yeah so I, I you know I guess once I had dealt with the you know the the pain and the emotion of everything that, that happened in, in those couple of months, I just, you know, I had to get back on the horse and, you know, I put in place some, some really simple things that I want to achieve. Like, and, you know, not all of them are even related to cricket. I mean, I learned Spanish for six weeks. I mean, <laughs> Spanish isn't going to help me. Like, How is it? Can you have a conversation? Uh, I can't, no, I, I can't say I've uh, really remembered too much about it, but I think it was more just about getting out of my comfort zone and doing something a bit different that would be engaging and it definitely was that for that period of time. I mean maybe I yeah, maybe I could have come up with some cheeky one liners in Spanish I could sledge batsmen about that might make them go coo coo a bit. I didn't I didn't pay that much attention as I should have. I did a lot of charity work. It was awesome. Obviously I spent a lot of time practicing yoga and I did a teacher training course in Melbourne. It's fantastic. Yeah, I did lots of things and, and the most fulfilling ones a lot of them had nothing to do with cricket and I, I think that was the that was the really awesome part of, of the journey that mindset and getting yourself mentally right does that help you deal with the criticism and hate that's followed do you you know look at people now having a crack at you calling you a cheat or yelling at you at games how do you deal with that yourself oh I think it reflects more on them as a person than it does on me that's how I take it and you know for that it makes me feel really compassionate and empathetic towards those people like them you know they've a lot of those people have made mistakes as well probably none as public as what mine is but you know they've they've made mistakes and you know there's no point me getting wound up by that it's happened so much that I've I guess I've learned to to really look yeah look at those people with you know with an open heart not a really critical one and you know for that that allows me to to be focused in the present moment on what's important and you know not let yeah, not let other people people 
bring you down. But I think that's been a really cool lesson that I've I've been able to learn. Who's Cameron Bancroft away from the cricket pitch? I'm a very uh, busy person, very driven person. What drives you? Well, I, I think at the moment I've just started up a, a new business called Gripful, so that's been driving me quite a lot. What's um, the business? What do you do? Online wellbeing-based platform providing strategies and promoting awareness around positive well. We've just started up with Junior Sports Wellbeing Program that we've put out to so Ashton Turner and Simon Mackin, they're my other business partners. Yeah, we just really want to make a difference. We've only just begun, worked with a couple of clubs. Yeah, we hope to really continue to grow our, our message and use our own stories and experience to inspire others to value their own mental health and well-being. So yeah, that's been okay. really awesome. And I think it's given me really good balance, particularly the last few months when you know life's been a little bit challenging at times. So what's a motto then that you like to live life by? I think I'm a, a huge one for really valuing your own well-being and, and I think in doing that you're able to have a positive impact on the well-being of others and I think that's that's a big motto that, that I live by and, and I think it allows you to have be as present to you know the, the important people around you but you know also to be as peaceful and, and live as happily as possible so that holistic type approach I think that's something that I, I really live by and value. So what's something that obviously you've played with a lot of great players Steve Smith one of them What's something that's common in the best players? What do they do that you've really tried to do? I think what they do is when they compete, they, they compete to, to make the opposition feel uncomfortable and feel under as much pressure as possible. They prepare well, obviously, but in saying that, how they prepare doesn't mean that you need to drink you know, the whole cup that they have that works for themselves you know, for you because what's important to you might be only 1% of what those great players do to help you become a great player. So I think the biggest thing is just when they compete, they, they really put pressure on, on opposition and make them feel uncomfortable for, for long periods of time and they really trust and stick to that. But definitely Steve and, and Dave and um, a lot of the other international players out there, that's, you know, that's something that they're just really amazing at. Taking in all of that, what is success for you? Success for me? hundred or not scoring hundred that was what success was I think success for me is a bit very different you know as a batsman obviously scoring runs is you know being successful but also being able to um, be a good leader and you know have open ears to to my teammates and other people that's being really successful looking after my own well-being every day that's that's success for me so I think it used to be really narrow-minded I think now I can put my head to the pillow having not scored a hundred and still feel like I've I've been really successful. Yeah, I think that's that's my answer to that question. And so what's next for you? So you're in pre-season training. What's happening next? Yeah, so continue to play, continue to practice and work on my cricket and pre-season and then wait for the fixtures to come out and, and continue to to really you know, grow the new business gripful that myself, Ashton and Simon have come up with and, yeah, just look forward to cricket and to, yeah, to Getting back story. in the Australian side, is that the getting goal? Back, yeah, yeah, and getting back into the Australian team as well. One step at a time and, and enjoy each day as it comes. Are you going to be teaching any yoga classes? Oh, actually, yeah, I do teach. teach one class a week. If you want to come pump for yoga in Cardinia, I teach there on a Thursday night at 6.45. A little, have to come uh, and give it a go. Yeah, you have to come down and give it a go. Yeah, definitely. I, 
worst case scenario, I get my mum and the studio owner to be my students for the hour. I'm slowly starting to build my numbers up. Yeah, it's just uh, it's good charity for me. I, I love doing it. Great. Well, I'm going to head down there and I will have a go at your class. I'll be able to learn all some mindful techniques from you. But thank you so much for chatting to us today and I wish you all the luck in getting back into cricket. Hopefully you guys will be playing soon and hopefully we'll see you back in the baggy green. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Wow. Those mindfulness techniques, the yoga, how he levels himself out. Cameron has definitely done a lot of work on himself and it pays off. How he sees success and failure in the same light and there's a lot going on. He's a real deep thinker and I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. I'll be back again next week. Please listen and if you enjoyed it, please tell someone else to listen. I would like more and more people to listen to this podcast so I need your help. But thank you everyone and stay safe. Enjoy your week. Bye-bye.